This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking to Major General Johnny Davis. Major General Davis is the commanding general of the U.S. Army Recruiting Command in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Prior to the commanding general uh, position, he was the Ma- Major General Davis, served as commanding general, United States Army Cadet Command at Fort Knox. Major General Davis, I know you have a very busy schedule, and it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks, uh, Aileen. It's a, it's a pleasure, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, and, and, of course, thanks for your support of our men and women in uniform. Well, sir, I, I have the, the key question of the day. Uh, can you describe your leadership style? Oh, that's a great uh, question. Thanks, Aileen. Well, first and foremost, I am a, and if you meet anybody that knows me, I've been in uh, over 30 years, and I'm uh, people first. Now, I can't say that was the same when I was a young lieutenant. I was just trying to figure life out as a, as a young Army officer. But what I've learned after over 30-plus years of service, and uh, it hit me really as a young major, that it's really all about people first and focus my leadership style on people and investment in people. And the reason I say that, they invested in me, so now I'm in the position to invest in others, and I think that's so very important. Uh, And it's really helped me, uh, you know, really uh, drive ahead uh, with a lot of uh, momentum and uh, positivity. So do you ever alter your approach depending upon the situation or audience? I mean, I know you've served overseas. uh, during the Afghanistan war, uh, or, you know, during stressful situations or, or, yeah. you know, multicultural or, you know, civilian versus, uh, well, military not really changed, uh, my approach to people. What I've really been able to do is tailor my, you know, uh, really how I feel is it when you're in a stressful situation, what I've learned is that I know uh, men and women in uniform, if, if I'm in a leadership role, they look to the leader uh, for guidance and really to set the example. And what I was getting after is I'm more of a positive uh, you know, leader in that type of environment. I'm more uh, forgiving because like all of us, we, we make mistakes. So depending on the environment, I think you're right. I think I, I tend to really tailor my feelings around others because I think it's so very important when you, when, if I was younger, I would look to that leader and if they are, you know, full of stress and, you know, they don't know what's going to happen next, I think that would uh, not bode well for any organization. You know, you, you mentioned that people had invested in you in the past. Um, do any leaders come to mind that provided you with important lessons or events that provided you with those those lessons that you wish all leaders had an opportunity to learn? Yeah, thanks. I, if I look back on my career, I, I really want to highlight two. I think my first was my very first, you know, platoon sergeant when I was assigned as a um, 
Bradley platoon leader in the 24th Infantry Division. So that just tells you I've been in a long time. The division is no longer on active duty. But my first platoon sergeant, Sergeant First Class Albury, and I never forgot it was, you know, early 90s. They had just returned from the deployment, uh, the Desert Storm, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and I showed up as a new t- lieutenant thinking, I missed the war. It's over. Uh, my, my career is over. But he pulled me aside and says, um, he says, Lieutenant, you're going to do great. I just need you to listen and be patient. So that's really what I've learned uh, from those many years ago. And then fast forward and just keeping my head down and staying focused, I had the opportunity to serve as an aide de camp. Now, about 12 years ago, I was selected to serve as aide de camp to the Army Vice Chief of Staff. Little did I know that in that same office will be the same, you know, key leaders that would join or lead our army today, or even DOD. The XO, when I was a young aide of camp, my XO was then Colonel Randy George, who is now, you know, the vice chief of staff of the army, just nominated to be the chief of staff of the army. And then my boss was then General Lloyd Austin. Of course, he's the secretary of defense today. So it's, you know, when you think about their investment you know, I look back on those times, and I was just trying to figure out, hey, I'm carrying this heavy, you know, bag around uh, with books and and uh, and coins for the boss, not knowing that, you know, 10, 13, you know, 14 years from then, they would be leading our nation, uh, and yet here I am. So they, they really had a large impact on me, and thanks for that wonderful question. You should never underestimate the people you're around because today, because tomorrow – you would be in leadership roles that you never, ever imagined. That's right. Your network is your net value. Um, You know, I watched a wonderful video about you did on leadership. So any of our listeners out there, you might want to look it up on YouTube, an incredible um, video. And in it, you mentioned your grandfather and how he inspired you to serve the nation. Can you tell us a little bit more and and how you can encourage the next generation to, to give to this nation. Yeah, Granddad Ruby. We well, first of all, we we all very much uh, loved him. Uh, he was such an influence on me in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now you got to remember, I was born and raised in Wisconsin. Uh, my grandfather and and grandmother lived on the north side. I, you know, attended school uh, and lived on the north side. Mom and Dad actually lived when they first were married maybe a block away just to stay close. And so that's how my brothers and sister and I got a chance to spend with, with granddad. And of course he, he served in World War II, uh, but was very, what I never forgot is we would build, you know, that, that garden every year, you know, till it, plant it, tomatoes or cucumbers, watermelon, and all of the things. And we would talk about uh, his stories uh, when he served in the European campaigns. Even though Granddaddy came, returned home, uh, and worked another job for over 35 years, he never talked about that job. What he talked about was the camaraderie, the friendship, the love, uh, the you know, the mentorship of his leaders. Everyone depended on each other, and he always said to me, "You ought to consider that service to our country." is a big deal and you will make a difference. Never let anybody say that you won't, you will make a difference. So 
that stuck with me, and uh, I thank him. Um, I mean, he's uh, he's he's uh, passed twenty plus years ago, but he's on my mind uh, every day. So you got inspired, but many of the young youth today don't have somebody wonderful like your grandfather to inspire them to um, give service to the nation. Uh, how can we help? you know, provide that kind of experience or that kind of enthusiasm to the next generation to find the next General Davis? Well, I'll tell you, and they're out there. And I I travel often, and I, I will share with everybody, not only is the General Davis out there, the president, the future presidents out there, the future CEOs, they're all out there. Uh, and we just have to take the time and invest in them. And it could be as simple as uh, sparking just a short conversation about service or a short conversation of what made you uh, as as successful as you are. Never discount your opportunity to impact someone in a 30 to 45 second conversation. I, I, I use this example. I uh, served as the uh, re-enlisting officer at a Green Bay Packer game. Uh, as you know, I'm a Wisconsinite, so I'm a big cheesehead, so i got to put that in. But during that game, halftime, it may have been 20 degrees. It was Wisconsin. Uh, we re-enlisted about 50, you know, uh, future soldiers at the, 50, the, the midfield or 50-yard line. But since that, and this was maybe six months ago, and I had a number of conversations with young adults, out there as I prepared. Well, less than two months ago, one of them uh, raised his right hand to join the Army. And I think the recruiters ran a story on that one, so that you may spot that on, on, on Google. But uh, based on that, that interaction, that, uh, that citizen is now a soldier serving our nation. So I share that, ma'am, because this is such a big deal. Just, just share who you are and what's made you successful, whether it's service or civilian career, that little investment matters. So you mentioned that when you were about a major, you realized, you know, people first. So were there obstacles and challenges that you encountered on a personal level that you had to overcome to become a more effective, inspirational leader that you are today? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it took me about 10 years because deep down aside, and I'm very open and transparent, I don't think I was as confident in myself that I was was uh, able to uh, really lead effectively and really be a mentor or uh, help others. And it was a moment again, young you know major serving in a uh, key role with a, a nine you know as the operations officer for a almost thousand soldier battalion in the 101st is when, you know, my own, you know, team around me said, uh, you're doing great. I mean, this is, we, you know, we're, we're the, you know, do, you know, one, you know, from a battalion, we're in the top five, we're doing all these things, but that's because you care about all of us. And we, we wanted to recognize you for that. And that's when I started to uh, believe in myself and understand that I, I, I was good enough. I can be confident uh, to, uh, to lead our you know, men and women 
uh, just as they were able to lead me. So I, I share that with you. That was a good question, but uh, just being very open and transparent. I'm speaking with Major General Johnny Davis, Commanding General U.S. Army Recruiting Command, Fort Knox. After the break, we'll begin to talk about developing your leadership style with an all-in. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking to Major General Johnny Davis, Commanding General of the U.S. Army Recruiting Command, Fort Knox. In the last segment, we talked about leadership style, about overcoming personal obstacles. I heard you say that it is all about leadership, is all about the people you lead. You mentioned the importance of being positive and being all in. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, thanks, Elena. And it's, uh, this is, again, wonderful. What I will share with you is I, I, I like to come across as real and approachable. I Again, I'm a kid from the north side of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm serving in a key leadership position with this nation. And I believe what got me here is, again, being real, being approachable, being personable, because I've really never have forgotten the, the, you know, uh, I wouldn't say challenging, but it was not as easy uh, upbringing, you know, when your, uh, your parent is a teacher. I think my dad's, in, you know, uh, pay as a teacher in 1970 was maybe 6000 that was his salary and they were bringing up my brother and sister and I and our they bought a first home so I never forgot that and so that's what's driving me to be more you know personable and and really be stay positive and link in with uh, uh people to my left and right you know you I can truly see your humility considering how much you've accomplished and humility is something you see in so many successful leaders. They are authentic in the way that they lead. What do you think about that and how do you approach humility and, and working with people at that level? Yeah, thanks. I think you can, you know, see their humility, which I, which I believe is the strength that uh, will propel anyone to great success. And I believe hubris will bring them down. So humility is, for me, again, remembering uh, where, you know, I started and never forget that that investment from those to my left and right, I should never t ever take for granted. And I will always try to pay it back. And that's what, again, in this position now today, and I'll share with you, Aileen, it's so wonderful to be able to recognize a young up-and-coming soldier, whether it's male or female. I just signed one that's just accepted to the, the Army's uh, law school program. I, um, I invested in another one that's just uh, selected to uh, serve as a warrant officer. I got one that just graduated warrant officer school. I can go on and on. Some of my, I think my last four or five drivers uh, are one's a, you know, Apache pilot, another one's a company commander. I can go on and on. But that investment seems to me that what, why it really matters. You know, you, you can see your people first. You're, you're actually naming individuals that at a two-star level, normally you're looking at much broader numbers. You are in a role that affects so many. 
what is the most important type of decision you can make as a leader of your organization? And, and have you, uh, you know, changed your approach over your course of your career? Yeah, so that's a great uh, question. So I think the first, when you think about the most important type of decision, I think are people decisions. And whether that is to help a, a young family you know, get to the duty station that they need to to help out, let's say, an aging parent or a uh, help of a spouse who's trying to transfer certification from one state to another. Those are decisions that I believe when I weigh in and it helps that family, first of all, I think it will come back uh, on this force a, a, a thousandfold in goodness. So I think the most important type are, are, again, training or people decisions. I think the next would be probably training decisions and trying to do what's best for the force and for the soldier. And then, you know, lastly, it's, I think it's always, you know, decisions that are, you know, culture-based. Is it do we do the same old, same old, or do we do something different given the current environment? So really people – decisions, training, and then culture. So, you know, you do you ever do uh, decisions by committee or yeah. do you think a leader <laughs> should just make them? Do you, do you think that changes depending upon the current situation? Yes. Yeah, all of the above. I've, uh, I've, I've uh, chaired meetings where I go all the way around the room. I ask everyone at the table, everyone that's uh, attending, hey, what I'd love to hear your thoughts because everything I do in this command, especially in recruiting, all of the initiatives are not my own. It's because of a young 23-year-old sergeant who's assigned in you know, Montana uh, has sent me an email saying, hey, sir, maybe you ought to consider this. I really appreciate that. And then I pursue those things. So I, I think there are a lot of, you know, by committee, I think it's, but some decisions are, are made by the commander uh, himself, him or herself. And I think uh, that's rare, but when I need to, uh, when it's a really tough decision that may impact the organization, I'll usually say, okay, I'll look to my command sergeant major who is my senior enlisted advisor but then I will, uh, I'll let the staff know, hey, I've, I've come to a decision on this, and this is what I'm thinking. So that's a great question. But a majority of the time, if you, and people will tell you they, who know me, I go around the entire room, hey, tell me, what you, what's your thoughts? <laughs> you know, there is a, a saying that I truly believe in, that, uh, uh, that companies don't make people successful or organizations don't make people uh, successful but people make companies or organizations successful. Earlier, we talked about the fact that you believe it's all about the people. You also have mentioned, not only during our program today, but I've heard on, in past speeches, where you invest in the people in the organization yeah. and those around you. Can you elaborate what you mean, invest in them? Yeah, if you want an organization to be stronger and powerful, you as a leader must invest in those people uh, to help you realize that vision. It's all about the people. So when you invest in the people, it's, it's a lot of different things. It's, it's training. It's quality of life. It's counseling. 
it's mentoring. You want that next generation to not only meet uh, your expectation, but you want them to exceed them, and you want them to lead this, you know, the organization uh, in, a, in a better place than where you left it. So to me, I think it's so – now, it, it takes a lot of hard work to do that, and uh, patience and trust and a lot of different things. But when you, you know, open yourself say, hey, I think you are the type of leader that we need to uh, invest in so that you can lead our Army into the future, that, first of all, opens their eyes, and then they're like, okay, I get it now. Uh, so I – Ma'am, that's a great question, but I think it's it's all about the people. And when you invest, it's the full person that you must invest in: training, quality of life, counseling, and mentoring. I mean, personal mentoring uh, is what I like to share. So you've talked about leadership investing in you. You've talked about investing as a leader, but you've also invested in and in, in, in it is a uh, a strong characteristic of many leaders to invest in those that are around you or your peers. Do you believe that's important? No, I, I think it's, um, I think it's very important. I, you know, I think it's, that investment is bigger than yourself. It's bigger than, you know, what you, what you may envision the, the impact I just think when when those who have invested in me have made a difference, I think my investment in others will also make a difference. You may not see it right away, but I guarantee you it will happen. But that, I mean, that's a great question. How has your focus and time horizons changed? Have you taken on more senior positions? Yeah, I tell you, it gets harder. And <laughs> <laughs> I will share that. Uh, so... You know, as a young leader, I was so much focused at the tactical la la level. So that, what did that mean? So I, I knew every person in my platoon. But as you continue your journey and you uh, lead larger organizations, now you enter where you're an operational leader, where you're really providing your guidance will help the, you know, let's say the, uh, the generals or the CEOs, you know, operationalize their vision. And now... I'm at the strategic level. There's no other command like this. There's no other recruiting command. I am uh, the command the Army looks to uh, to fill our ranks with uh, with future soldiers. So is it a unique mission set? Absolutely. Is it increased responsibility? But I think more importantly, as you uh, continue to rise through your career, I think, well, first of all, I got over 30 years of experience. So I can look back and understand at each level, but I think getting here was uh, is not easy. But leading at the strategic level, I think uh, the Army has prepared me to do so, and the investment not only by the nation but the Army has helped me uh, uh, really drive positive change uh, in this wonderful uh, organization. So you know, you talk about it, the, the leadership. Uh... But do you have any thoughts at this senior level of your career, um, the difference between leaders who manage versus leadership? Yeah, I think management is, um, let me try to make this easy. I think management is really routine things routinely. Leadership is personal engagement. 
I think that's the easiest way to explain it. I'm speaking with Major General Johnny Davis, Commanding General of the U.S. Army Recruiting Command, Fort Knox. Next, we'll talk about leadership and culture. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Major General Johnny Davis, Commanding General, U.S. Army Recruiting Command, Fort Knox. So, General Davis, let's take a step back. Tell us about your background and your journey to becoming a two-star general. Well, that's a uh, journey in and of itself. I mean, I was a young college uh, student uh, at, who attended a military junior college. Uh, for me, I, I needed funds to help pay for school like many of our young adults. Uh, of, of course, that, that help, uh, it was rough in a family uh, with a, you know, medium to, uh, you know, you know, I would say medium income, but uh, I, my path led me to ROTC, uh, where I, I thought, you know, the sense of purpose, and what more importantly, I get a chance to pay for school, and uh, and have fun. So I was commissioned. Uh, my first branch of choice was infantry, because I wanted, if I was going to serve our nation, I wanted to do some the hardest jobs. Uh, I didn't know that many of them would be really, really hard, uh, but. It, served in uh, all of the, the right infantry units. I did all the right schooling, U.S. Army Airborne, Ranger School, Air Assault School, Bradley Commander Course. I can go on and on, but I served in some wonderful units uh, throughout my career, and it's really helped me grow. I've been mechanized in the 24th ID. Eight, yeah, I spent you know six years in the 82nd Airborne, seven years in the 101st, two different tours, Served in the old guard at uh, Fort Myer. I was there as a young captain, second com company commander uh, for 9-11. I uh, returned uh, to command that regiment, uh, you know, 17 years later. Uh, very historic uh, unit, oldest unit in the United States Army. Went to Korea, served in a, as the XO to a four-star of, you know, the United States Forces Korea commander, selected for you know, well, I was forgot to say I was an aide to the Army Vice, aide to the Vice Chairman. I've had a few aide jobs uh, and then selected for Brigadier General and then served in a number of uh, uh, strategic positions, both as an assistant division commander of the 25th ID out in Hawaii. And I was really at the forefront of Army experimentation when the Army uh, asked me to lead the Joint Modernization Command. So the, the things that you're seeing being fielded today were the things that we worked on, you know, six, uh, five, six, seven years ago. And that includes electronic uh, warfare, hypersonics, you name it, long-range precision fires. And and so that has really helped me grow uh, as from a tactical operational strategic leader. That's in a nutshell. I could go on, but uh, I just gave you my life and I guess 33-year uh, career in about one minute. <laughs> and it was amazing. You know, I, I, there's so many things in your uh, background that were huge accomplishments, but something really stood out for me early in your career as I read your bio, and it had to do with persistence and focus. It seemed to be the course of the day for you. And, you know, what I was so impressed with is how hard you worked to become an officer in the U.S. military. It wasn't a straight line, and your first attempts were not successful. Now, you know, first off, 
thank you for being so persistent. But second, how can we teach future leaders the importance of learning sometimes starts with failing and that being a lesson and not a failure? Oh, that's a great question. And I will share this with many. I made, you know, it is hard work, but I will be also first to admit that I made mistakes along the way. Uh, yes, I was a young Bradley platoon leader, and I um, inadvertently led my platoon of four Bradleys and multiple soldiers into a swamp. That's right, drove them right into a swamp. And then it took, uh, uh, we got water in the fuel, we had to uh, download the fuel, we had to remove an engine on one of them, but yes, I did that. Uh, and that wasn't a cheap mistake either, but I, I earned that. Uh, and so I share with others that any you know young leader who makes mistake, it's all about leaders that underwrite them and invest in them and understand that young uh, future leaders are going to make mistakes. And I did, and I will admit that. Uh, but that is something I will share when I you know provide embrace. I share my stories on you know a lot of different <laughs> mistakes I've I've made. I mean I've had some funny things. I've uh, I've I've driven the wrong way on the range one time. I um, I ran out of gas uh, in the field. Uh, that's a no-no. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on and on about things. But you know what? I uh, I learned from them, and and I think that's who what has really uh, molded me to the stake. Culture eats strategy for breakfast is a famous quote from legendary management consultant and writer period Peter Drucker. I don't think he meant that strategy was not important, but rather than a powerful and empowering culture was a sure route to organizational success. Do you agree with that? And, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks. I agree 100% uh, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's all day and night. And I think my number one challenge in a you know command now is really culture. It's the environment may change, but sometimes culture is everlasting, uh, but not may not be congruent with the environment. So you have to, you know, help change culture, or your strategy is not going to turn out. <laughs> so I share that because the number one answer I always get, and you've probably heard this as well, well, we've always done it that way, or. Uh, well, okay, yeah, that's a great suggestion, but I, it's not going to work. We tried that before, like 10 years ago. Or the third thing, example I always share, and I, I think whatever I'm saying is not new to you, Aileen, but, you know, I, we'll, we'll, we'll just wait you out uh, as a change agent. So I, I think um, Peter was absolutely correct. Uh, and again, culture is everything, but if you want to get after organizational change and uh, move an organ or make it better, you're going to have to address culture. You know, you served in Afghanistan and, and um, you know, you can't help but pick up articles today about um, leading with empathy. But you know, our particular are veterans that came back from Afghanistan. The suicide yeah. rate of our returning vets is, you know, if, if there's, it, it's too high. Um, yeah. How can leaders be more empathetic and help create a an environment that is, is that provides that safety 
for those that are struggling to reach out for help? Any advice well, first, you have on that? Yeah, so that's a great question. I would I would share first admit that we have uh, vets that are struggling and may need help. And when they need help, never walk past. Never, I would say stop and listen because they need uh, those that are, are having a tough time out there, uh, they need to, uh, you know, they need your help. They need you to listen to them. And we also need to reduce the stigma of, you know, seeking help. It doesn't matter whether you're a, a veteran or those on active duty. You know, anyone uh, that is witnessing some problems, and, and as my dad always says to me, everybody's got problems, Johnny. Uh, he's absolutely right. So we should always understand, don't let it happen to you and help someone else. And when you help someone else, you've just not only, helped, you know, you could have saved the life, but you've made someone's life better. And guess what? You will, your life is now better. So th that's a great question. And, and I've served and, and, and helped so many. And uh, I think it's, I think it's everyone's duty to help those who are struggling. Is there any resources there at Fort Knox if somebody is um, or in the military that you're aware of that, you know, if one of our listeners needs some help, they could um, you know, reach out? Yeah, there's one source. There's the DOD hotline. There's all types of uh, resources. You can, you know, uh, look it up. Uh, you can, I mean, I, what I love is Sometimes my 17 and 18 year olds, they train me how to use Google. So if you really want to know something, you can Google it or you can ask in a manner. But every military installation uh, has uh, help mechanisms. You, I mean, you can just drive right to the post and we're going to get you the help you need. doesn't matter where you go. Or I will share with you uh, any uh, hospital uh, or any, first of all, you know, contact your, your those that are meaningful to you, family and friends, and share uh, what's on your mind or what's bugging you so that we can all uh, invest in you and help you. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Major General Johnny Davis, Commanding General of the U.S. Army Recruiting Command. Coming up next, we'll find out what Major General's ad advice is to the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking to Major General Johnny Davis, Commanding General of the U.S. Army Recruiting Command, Fort Knox. You know, sir, you have had a very long, distinguished career in the military. Tell us about the favorite role you have had, and also then tell us about your current role. Yeah, first of all, my favorite role, and I, I share this, was when I was a young company commander in the 82nd Airborne Division. But I guess, it, you know, I'm aged, you know, it was in the 1990s. I knew every single soldier, all 135 soldiers in the company. I knew their families. I knew what made them tick. I would help some. Uh, we were all young. Uh, we would help some, uh, especially new families on the weekend. So that was by far my favorite. I love this role as the commanding general of U.S. Army Recruiting Command because it's the it's a very large command, 1,600 recruiting stations all around the world from Guam to Korea to the West Coast, every zip code, all the way to Germany and Europe. So I've had a wonderful experience 
throughout my 30-plus uh, years of service. So you are at three decades. So retirement is within five years um, as a flag officer. So have you? do you have a plan for what's next? No, that's a great question. I think about that because, of course, I'm, I'm closer to the end than from the beginning. Uh, and my wife and I were just, you know, thinking about, hey, what is next? Where do we want to land? Because we lived in, you know, 17 different places, uh, 12 different states, overseas countries. Even though we're from Wisconsin, I don't think we both are going to go back to the, the, you know, cold state. We may, but uh, we really don't know uh, what we want to do yet. So I guess uh, the answer is we don't know what we're going to do when we grow up. <laughs> um, what was your first job? Oh, don't. <laughs> so I was a 16-year-old grocery store clerk in Milwaukee uh, Gauss Food Market on North Avenue. Uh, I was a stocker, and I made three twenty an hour. And what I loved about it, if you know, back then. And this was in the 80s. I had to use box cutters to remove the, uh, the the tops of the boxes. And one day, I cut the top of, I think it was the powdered um, laundry detergent, and I cut off all of the tops uh, inadvertently when I took off the top of the box. So I never forgot that. But, yes, I was a grocery store stocker. <laughs> that, it teaches you, uh, you know, customer service and, and uh, the, the importance of, of hard work and education. Um, Absolutely. What career advice would you give somebody that would like to follow in your footsteps? Well, first of all, I, I'm always here to give back. And if anyone is interested, I will be open my door. I will schedule. But I think giving back and investing in those who may be interested to serve, I will, like I said, I, you have my undivided attention each and every day. And that's what I love, is sharing my my journey uh, with someone who wants to pursue a service. So I, I think that's, uh, that's such a big deal, uh, having a life of service and purpose. And again, as you know, that's our motto, be all you can be. And I'm all about helping those be all they can be. We talked about the other end of the equation for you, but do you have any advice? Because a lot of times when people retire, especially out of the service, you know, if you don't have a plan about what's next um, and how to fill your that that great need uh, right. uh, in, that is incredible a benefit of actually serving this nation is actually that feeling of, of being, you know, making a difference. What about the vets that are about to leave the military service? Any advice there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we need to connect more with our our veterans. I don't think uh, we've done that enough. Now, I know the, the, the veteran services organizations, they're doing a lot, but I think there's got to be a bigger connection between our wonderful vets because, in my eyes, veterans are the true influencers and investors in the next generation. So it, I can do much every day, but a veteran, uh, it, you know, everyone in that community knows that veteran. Of course, everyone knows that veteran served. So I think we could do much better in that regards connecting. What I would ask all veterans, please visit your local recruiting 
you know, station. First of all, uh, you know, say hi, check in on them. And I know what the first thing on your mind is, hey, did we look that young? Yes. Uh, but please take the time, visit the local recruiting station and share your your journey with each and every one of them because, you know, they're there to help change, uh, you know, the future leaders' lives uh, in a positive manner. And I think veterans play a huge role, and I don't think we've, act, you know, done all we can to uh, leverage that. Do you have any favorite leadership books that you would recommend or any leadership courses that you have uh, found very inspirational? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different, uh, you know, books. I, you know, I'm a good to great guy. I think uh, um, Fanatical, um, oh, Margin uh, by Richard Swenson. Uh, I think uh, Jim Collins, that's the good to great uh, series. Uh, small unit leadership, uh, and I think that's really it, – it's. Uh, let me make sure I got it right. Small unit leadership, a common-sense approach, and that's uh, uh, Dandridge Malone. And I think that's a really uh, good book. Uh, but bottom line, it is um, – yeah, I think those are the, the top three. Or fanatical prospecting, and that's Jeb Blunt. You know, sir, your career and the success you've had is truly inspirational. Any final pearls of wisdom you would have for the next generation? You know, maybe you at 18 years old? What I would share, and thank you for that, I would share with them that uh, we are in good hands. And having leaders that, um, you know, that would invest in the current population uh, is such a big deal. So I would share with them, don't let anybody tell you that you can't achieve uh, something. I will, as long as I stand here, I will open up every door uh, that I can to help you succeed because I think this next generation will only make us better uh, as a nation, uh, just as the, the generations before us invested in us. So. I, I will share with that 18-year-old Davis out there in the north side of, Mo, of Milwaukee, just be patient, young Padawan. You will go on and do great things. But thanks for the great question. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Major General Johnny Davis, Commanding General of the U.S. Army Recruiting Command, Fort Knox. General Davis, I want to thank you for your service to the nation and sharing your personal journey with us today and some really valuable advice. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.